Thessalonians chapter number 4 and uh, we're going to be looking at a couple of passages tonight and I'm excited about this particular teaching. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. Uh, these are the words of the Apostle Paul, right? Here's what he says. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we uh, which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, I want to read a passage in Titus, Titus chapter 2, uh, 11 through 3. Titus 2, 11 through 3 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denied ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. One more passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and 52. Again, the words of Paul, here's what he said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. God, I pray that it encourages us. Lord, I pray that as we look at this subject tonight, that we will have anticipation and hope in our hearts for the events that await us. God, I thank you so much to be a part of the body of Christ. And Lord, I thank you to be a part of this local church. Lord, uh, 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 Christians need to be in church like fish need to be in water. And Lord, I thank you for this church that exists in this community. Lord, to be an encouragement and to be an equipping place for the body of Christ. And I pray that you speak to our hearts in a positive way and give us uh, encouragement as we look at this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we're going to uh, continue on our series, We Believe. And um, I really, as we downhill coast uh, over the next few weeks, I'm in anticipation in my heart of what's coming up ahead. And I'll share a little bit about that in the week or two to come. But I think that you'll, uh, you'll love it on our Wednesday night studies. But um, we've been continuing talking about what we believe as a church, our core doctrines, our tenets of faith. Um, as I've stressed over the last 11 weeks, um, I will stress it again tonight. It is so important to know what you believe and why you believe it. Uh, in the hour in which Christianity is being tested and everybody has Google and Wikipedia and they have information and, and, and uh, what do they call this stuff now? Artificial intelligence. They have got everything at their fingertip to find all the answers of the world. You need to know what you believe so that you can give a hope and an answer to those who may inquire. 
So tonight, I'm excited because over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at eschatology, which is a big fancy word, and it just means the study of the last things. Uh, In our doctrinal statement tonight, we're beginning to look at what the Bible calls end-time events. And so I know everybody, this piques their interest, and, and of course, everybody has opinions like this, and they say opinions are like elbows, everybody has one. But tonight, I'm not interested so much about opinions as I am what the Scripture says. And uh, looking at it in its broad perspective, in context, to see exactly what the Lord has to say to us. And so tonight, we're going to look at our 13th fundamental truth of the Assemblies of God. And number 13 is the blessed hope. The blessed hope. Before we get into this too far... I want to read it with us, and if you've got the notes, you can read it with me. Fundamental truth number 13 reads like this. The resurrection of those who have fallen asleep in Christ and their translation together with those who are alive and remain into the coming of the Lord is the imminent and the blessed hope of the church. I want to read that last phrase one more time. It is the imminent and blessed hope of the church. Uh, Church, tonight, as we look at the blessed hope, and I'm going to give you a a, a phrase that is interchangeable with the blessed hope. Tonight, we're talking about the doctrine of the rapture of the church. Now, every once in a while, you'll have a smart-alecky person that'll pop up, and they'll say, now, pastor, you understand that the word rapture is not in the Bible. They use that as a springboard, uh, basically, to try to debunk the doctrine of the rapture. And they're absolutely correct. The word rapture is not in the Bible. But much to their dismay and their shock, the word Bible is also not in the Bible. Hello. Let me tell you another word that's not in the Bible. Trinity. The Bible refers to the blessed Trinity, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It uses the word Godhead. uh, But The word Trinity simply means triune. The word Bible simply means book. And the word rapture simply means, it comes from a Latin word because parts of the Bible were transliterated from Latin. And the word uh, rapture in the Latin is harpazo. It means to snatch up violently with force without warning. That's what the word rapture means. And so uh, if you notice when I read our fundamental truth, it says in that last phrase, It says that the coming of the Lord is the imminent and blessed hope of the church. The word imminent means soon, sudden, or without warning. And so tonight, we're going to look at this from scriptural perspective and see what God has to say about it. But before we do, I want to talk to you about this doctrine of the church called the rapture. I would probably say, other than the doctrine of eternal judgment, which would be heaven and hell, uh, there's probably not a Bible doctrine that has struck fear in the hearts of people more than the rapture of the church. I don't know how many of you little church kids grew up, and uh, you maybe were at grandma and grandpa's house, and, and you know you hadn't been good that day. Come on, does anybody know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden, you go in the kitchen to try to talk to grandma, and you, you holler out for her, and you can't find her. Then you start hollering around and you start thinking, dear Lord, I missed the rapture. Come on, you know, if you were raised in a, in a, in a home like, like I was, you understand what I'm talking about. 
And uh, I actually knew one lady, uh, she, she was so mean to her kids, she would hide in the, in the closet and blow a trumpet. And her kids, seriously, I'm not, even, I'm not even lying, I'm not even lying to you. She would hide in her closet and blow a trumpet. Her kids would just almost fall out. And they would say, Mom, why did you do that? She said, rapture drill, rapture drill. Uh, I got weird friends, I'm telling you. But, uh, that, that, you know, uh, the doctrine of the rapture has striked fear in the hearts of people for a long time. I don't know how many of you lived through the late 80s. I figure most of us in here, you know, everybody else that's younger is probably in children's church or youth tonight. But uh, in 88, there was a book that came out. And in 88, it said, there are 88 reasons why the Lord will return in 1988. You know, that thing was a bestseller. People bought copies of that book, and that guy got rich off of that. I mean, I'm telling you. Well, then, how many of you lived through uh, Y2K? Anybody? We thought the whole world was going to end when the computers struck midnight on, on December the 31st. 1999 because nobody had ever seen the year 2000 you know now here we are it's 2023 and I feel so old because I just tell my kids you know well I was born in the 1900s right I mean you think about it, it's got a pretty weird sound to it doesn't it I was born in the night you just a dinosaur amen but uh we see 1988 88 reasons why Jesus will come in, in 88 we see the y2k thing uh, then there was the rise of the Tim LaHaye books, the Left Behind series. Some of y'all read that, watched those DVDs, videos. And so the rapture was striking fear in the hearts of people, right? And uh, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, you have things like 88 reasons why Jesus is going to come and Y2K. And you had all these date setters and calendar people. And they're trying to figure out the mathematical equation of when Jesus is going to come. But we have one teensy, weensy little problem. You see, Jesus said, I shall come like a thief in the night. That's what he said. A thief does not announce his, his coming. He's coming like a thief in the middle of the night. And then Jesus went on to say, he said, no man knows the day or the hour in which the Son of Man comes, not even the Son himself, but only the Father, right? And so... Jesus makes it clear that people don't know the exact day or the hour the Lord will return. However, in dealing with specifics of Scripture, we don't necessarily know the day or the hour. We can't pull our calendar out and jot a, a time down. But the Bible does tell us, uh, he says, you, you, um, he, he says, talking to the Pharisees, he said, you can discern the, the sky when it's red and say that we're going to have bad weather today, but you don't know the signs of the times. So there are biblical signs around us that point to the imminent return of Christ. We see it, in, we see it on the news every day. We see Russia and China, and we see the Euphrates River drying up. That's a pretty biblical thing. See China having a, a 200 million man army ready to go if, if necessary. Uh, you see the push for... Uh, one world currency, in fact, this week I heard something about the dollar collapsing and, and losing its value. In fact, um, one nation told its citizens if they had U.S. dollars, get rid of them quickly because they're about to plummet over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to talk about that on Sunday. But there's a lot of talk globally around the world 
about electric currency, electronic currency, and things of that nature. And so there are signs all around us. But here's what I wanted to tell you, that um, the rapture of the church is not meant to incite fear in the hearts of God's people. I'm going to say that one more time. The rapture of the church is not designed to strike fear into the hearts of God's people. It is called the blessed hope. It's not called the dreaded event. It's called the blessed hope. And um, I want to go back to what I said a moment ago. Jesus said, no man shall know the day or the hour. Now, according to our scriptural belief, what we believe as a church, as it relates to um, the rapture of the church, there are three major positions, okay? Three major positions, and this is important. Now, what I want you to know right out of the gate is that if a person holds to a different position on this issue right here, doesn't mean they're unsaved, it doesn't mean they're not going to heaven, this is not. You need to hear this loud and clear, because I've heard people argue uh, back and forth to their blue in the face, as the folks used to say, but uh, this is not a heaven or hell issue, okay? It's important, but it's not a heaven or hell issue. There are three main issues, uh, uh, point of views. Number one is what we call the pre-tribulational view, okay? That means that the Bible speaks about a seven-year period of, of hell on earth. There's no other way to say it. Uh, the first three and a half are very mild compared to the last three and a half. The last three and a half are referred to as great tribulation okay now we believe that Jesus comes for the church at the beginning of that seven-year period the second view is those that hold to a mid-tribulational view they believe that Christ comes in the middle of the tribulation okay whenever the Antichrist stands up in that in that third temple at the dedication and he he says you know what I take the credit for this I'm God that's when the the, the wrath of God is released, and, and uh, they believe Jesus comes right then. And, uh, and then the last view is a post-tribulational view. In other words, they believe the church suffers through the tribulation, and then Christ comes at the end of the seven years. Now, I'm going to tell you tonight um, what we believe, why we believe it, and Scripture, uh, we, we hold to the pre-tribulational view. And I'm going to give you several reasons why. Number one, because... The, there is a distinction in the Bible between the church and the nation of Israel. In fact, when you read the scripture, you see something very plain. Uh, there's groups of people that you see. You see the nations of the world. You see Israel, physical, natural Israel. And you see the church, the body of Christ. And so, if you actually go back into the Old Testament... And look in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah says there's coming a day upon the earth that is like nothing the world has ever seen. He said it will be called the time of Jacob's trouble. Genesis chapter 35, the Bible says that God changed uh, uh, whose name? Come on, Jacob changed his name to what? Israel. The tribulation is the time of Israel's trouble. The purpose of that tribulation period is to, number one, judge the wickedness of the earth and those who've rejected Christ. Number two, it's to give Israel one last chance to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And 
a lot of them do. And so we see that. The second reason why we hold to a pre-tribulational view of the rapture is because of the doctrine of imminence. Our fundamental truth says that uh, it is the imminent and blessed hope. To be Something to be sudden and without warning has to mean that you can't mark it down on the calendar. Now, I want us to use common sense. If we hold to any other view of the return of Christ other than a pre-tribulational view, would it not be so? For instance, if we held to a mid-tribulational view, which says that Christ will come, the rapture of the church happens, the church is taken out of the great tribulation at the middle point of the dedication of that temple, then would it not be so that when the first brick was laid at that temple, you'd be able to mark it, mark it on your calendar? Because it's going to be three and a half years. You could get really close. Well, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense if nobody knows the day or the hour. That doesn't sound like a thief to me. That sounds like a planned meetup. How much more so if it's at the end of the tribulation period? If you, if you miss the date at the front end, you just mark the halfway mark of the, of the dedication of the temple, you know, that, that middle three and a half years. You just go three and a half years forward. You know you got three and a half years to not die Try not to die. It'll be hard not to in that, those days. Uh, but, you know, there'll be great things that happen upon the earth. But you would know that Jesus was coming. And so, listen, it makes sense for the fact that Israel and the church are two separate entities. And the church, we're, we're going to talk about this at Easter in a few weeks, resurrection. One of the reasons we celebrate Easter so much is because Christ bore our wrath. Every strike, every lash, his, his death, his punishment was our punishment. When we put our faith in Christ, we get saved, born again. We become a part of the church. That means Jesus has already accepted our wrath. So why would he pour out his wrath on us twice? No, there's things that happen. In the middle of the tribulation period, if you read the book of Revelation, that signified the church is in heaven. So, I didn't mean to go into that tonight. If you missed my chapter-by-chapter teaching on the book of Revelation a few years ago, you probably should go back and listen to it. I thought about doing it again, but I'm trying to talk myself out of it. See, I'll pray for me. I get OCD sometime, and I, I hate staying on something for a long time. That's a long time. This has been a long time. But I want you to know something. That the doctrine of Christ's coming is one of his imminent return. And I want to look at our scriptures tonight. And I want to see why it's called the blessed hope. So if you're taking notes tonight, I want you to write this down. Number one, let's look at the basis of the doctrine of the blessed hope. The, the basis of it. As we mentioned a moment ago, the rapture of the church, the idea of the rapture of the church is rooted in Scripture. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, and he said this. He said, for we have not been appointed unto wrath, but unto mercy. The Bible says that there's a crown of righteousness laid up for those who are looking for the Lord's appearing. The Bible gives us the parable 
of the, 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 the foolish virgins, the five wise, the five foolish. When the bridegroom came in at midnight and he said, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Five had oil, five did not. Five were ready, five were not. Listen, it's an interesting thing. Jesus said, uh, when the Lord comes, he said, there's going to be two in the field, one taken, one left. Two in the bed, one taken, one left. It's going to be a time of separation, but it's rooted in the Scripture. I don't want to get into it too much, but it's kind of a weird thing when you think about it, because for man anyway, because I don't, I don't know, I can't speak for everybody. I hope I can speak for everybody in this room. I still believe there's not but two genders. Amen? I'm not trying to be ugly. I believe people struggle with that stuff. is either mental illness or it's demonic. And they need delivered. Amen? Seriously. I'm not playing with it. It's terrible. People are confused. But it's weird as a guy... Because our relationship with Christ is likened unto a bride and a bridegroom. And newsflash, I'm not, the, I'm not the bridegroom. And for a dude, that's pretty weird. But understand, it's just an analogy. Christ is the bridegroom, right? Now, the rapture of the church is something that is um, actually, there, there's, there's a shadow, there is a types and shadows in Scripture, things that are a picture within a picture, and the rapture of the church is, I might not even get to my notes tonight, but that's okay. So, it, it's a picture within a picture, right? So, in a Jewish wedding, a, a man, the bridegroom, if he wanted to betroth somebody's daughter, he had to first go and pay the appropriate price. Okay? That's called a dowry. He went and paid the price. He Basically, it was the start of an engagement period. Any ladies in here remember your engagement period? Uh, there was a promise of betrothal. And so in Jewish culture, what happens was, is that the man, right, the man would then go back, and Jewish families are different than American families, I know some of y'all are still trying to kick your children out of the nest. Come on, somebody. But in Jewish families, they just build onto the house, and they build upwards. They build levels. If you ever get a chance to go to Jerusalem, and you, you go and you look, you, the architecture is still the same way today. They just build up. They're flat-top roof houses. they got real intricate draining systems. And, and when, when the son is getting married, they just build on another place. And, uh, and so what happens after the, the bridegroom pays his betrothal price, he goes back to his father's house. You follow me? He goes back to his father's house, and he begins to prepare a place for his bride. And he tells her, I don't know the day or the hour which I'm going to return. I don't know how long it's going to take me to prepare it. But you just need to be ready. This was Jewish tradition. It, it built into the excitement of the anticipation of the bride looking for the coming of the bridegroom. You know what she did? She always kept her makeup on. She always made sure her hair was curled. 
She always made sure her clothes were appropriate because she didn't want to be caught in a moment not knowing when her bridegroom was going to return. And so Jewish culture, and you can go study all of this out. It's not hidden. There's Google, Wikipedia, Jewish Encyclopedia. You just go study all this out. So what happens is, is that they would go and start building on the father's, on the father's uh, house. And when the father decided that it was ready, because he had to do the final inspection, he would say, son, go get your bride. And they would begin with the trumpet blast and they would march towards the bridal chamber and somebody would shout out behold the bridegroom comes come out to meet him now folks I have just told you what Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 6 Jesus said let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions. Listen, I don't mean to wreck your prosperity whack theology, but we don't all have individual mansions in heaven. That's a bad translation. It, it really, look in Strong's Concordance, it's rooms. In my Father's house are many rooms because the idea is communal living. That's what they did in Jewish culture. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. He says, but because I told you, he said, I go prepare a place for you. And when I'm finished, I will come again and receive you into myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know. Where are you going? How will we ever know the way? And John 6, or, yeah, I think it's not, it's not John 6. I think it's John 14. He says, uh, yeah, John 14, 1 through 6. He says in John 14, 6, he says, uh, Lord, uh, 14, 5 rather, he says, Lord, where are you going? How will we ever know the way? He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. What am I trying to tell you? The basis of the blessed hope is rooted in the scripture. We are the bride of Christ. We have been betrothed. Jesus paid for us with his precious blood. The Bible says he's coming back for a bride that's without spot and without wrinkle. Sunday, I talked to you about James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that enmity, friendship with the world is enmity with God? Jesus is coming back for a church that is committed to him. He's coming back for a church that has kept herself pure, blameless, spotless. Not bored waiting on the bridegroom to come so we begin to alley cat in the ways of the world and take on other lovers and other things. No, he's coming back for somebody who is holy, looking for his return. That bridegroom would anticipate that cry, or that bride rather would anticipate that cry of that bridegroom. The basis of the blessed hope in the scripture. Second thing I want you to see if you're taking notes. I want to look at the comfort. The comfort of the blessed hope. The comfort of the blessed hope. The blessed hope comforts us because. Number one. If we have lost loved ones who believed in Jesus. When they died they were saved. 
whenever Jesus comes, we're reunited with them. Now that's important. It goes back to our, goes back to our text in 1 Thessalonians 4. You don't have to turn there, but 1 Thessalonians 4. Um, I love what Paul says in verse number 13. He says, but brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. The word fallen asleep there, it's just a, it's just a euphemism. It just means death. I don't, want to be, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. Notice, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Can I tell you, people who don't have Christ, people who don't have assurance, people who don't know where they're going, people who don't know where their loved ones have gone, they have no hope. The world, it's, it's, it's that, that sorrow of bitterness, and, 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 and truly it is goodbye. But if you've ever stood by the casket or the graveside of a Christian, though we've said goodbye, it's really not. Goodbye to the body, goodbye to the flesh. The Bible says that the comfort of the blessed hope is that we're going to be reunited again with those whom we have loved, those only those who have died in Jesus. So grandma and grandpa and some of those people like that that are in our lives that we've lost and, and church members and friends and folks of that nature, we're going to get to see them again. Comforting. Comforting. Uh, another thing, the blessed hope comforts us because we leave behind us the pains of this world. That bride, that bride is, is waiting on her bridegroom to whisk her away, to now be responsible for her, to care for her. She no longer has to fend for herself. She doesn't have to rely on somebody else. But that bridegroom is the one responsible Here's what I want you to know. When Jesus comes and catches the church away, it should comfort us because we're going to leave behind this old world of sorrow and pain. I wish I could teach an hour tonight on heaven. If you want to know what it's like, it's not mysterious. I would challenge you, though, don't take a Lifetime movie or a Hallmark movie or even a cheesy Christian movie to get your theology about heaven. Just look in the Scripture. Revelation 21, John says, Behold, I saw a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a, as a bride was adorned for her husband. And he said, and I, I saw this place, it was glory and splendor. And he said, there was no need for the light because the Lamb was the light. And he said, there's a place of no sorrow and no pain. There's no suffering. Listen, in this world, the Bible says we will have suffering. We will have persecution. We'll have tribulation. But Jesus said, take courage because I've overcome the world. And listen, the moment we go to heaven, folks, there's no more depression, anxiety, rheumatoid arthritis, come on, migraine headaches, no fighting, no crying, no inflammation, no gout, no ulcers, no sleep apnea, no CPAP machine. Come on, somebody. We're free from all of that stuff. Free from it. That's why oh, for a believer to die is graduation. 
So many people trying to seek to save their life. Jesus said, if you seek to save it, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you'll find it. The blessed hope gives us comfort because we leave behind us the pains of this world. But the next thing, the blessed hope comforts us. Here's the ultimate reason. Because we're forever in the presence of Jesus. Forever. Isaiah tells us in a prophetic passage, when the Bible says in his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, you know that, that famous Christmas passage we quote. The Bible says the government will be upon his shoulders. I tell you, Jesus doesn't run the, the kingdom of God like the Democrats. He doesn't run it like the Republicans. He doesn't run it like the communists. He runs it like a king. And in the king's kingdom, there's order, there's rule, there's government. And we're going to be there with Jesus in the presence of God forever. That's awesome. That's why we shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't be afraid. Let me put it to you like this. Christians shouldn't be afraid of the rapture. If you're ready, if your name is written in the book of life, if you're ready to go, goodness, let him come today. Here's the third thing. I want to look at the implications of the blessed hope. The implication of the blessed hope is that it's imminent. It can happen any moment. You know, I like what my sister says back here. She said, you know, it doesn't matter when the time of the rapture is. If you die today, it's the end of the world for you, right? Okay, so none of us are promised tomorrow. None of us are promised tomorrow. But if we happen to be alive when Jesus comes, then we got to understand it's imminent, which means it can happen at any moment. So I, I would challenge us as the church that if Jesus can come at any moment, this is going to sound revolutionary to some people, but we ought to live like he could come at any moment. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if he's coming like a thief in the night, now listen, if you're saved, you're saved. Understand what I'm saying. But you know, there's some people that stray away. They get into a place of backsliding and they fall away. And we talked about that on Sunday too. But uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to be found in a compromising place or compromising position. See, the bride, that Jewish bride that was betrothed to her bridegroom, she lived with anticipation and she kept herself pure and she kept herself ready. I believe the church ought to be excited for Jesus' return. We ought to be keeping ourselves pure and keeping ourselves ready. Listen, I am not a legalist. I'm really not. God's ocean of grace is far more deep and wide than anything I possibly can ever imagine. I'm not a legalist, okay, at all, period. But hear me, there's some places I wouldn't want to be when Jesus came back. I wouldn't want to be in a casino. I wouldn't want to be getting drunk. I wouldn't want to be at a strip club. I wouldn't want to be uh, sitting down watching a sitcom in my living room that's taking the name of the Lord in vain over and over and over again. Why? I, I, don't, who, I don't want to be in that position when he comes. Just like when the, bride, when the bridegroom comes for his bride, he don't want to find her with a wrinkled up dress and her hair's all crazy. And No, he gave her instructions. He said, be ready. Keep yourself ready. And you know something cool? This is cool. When that bridegroom would finally come for his bride, 
he would whisk her away. And they would be gone for, a, for an extended period of time. Culminated with a big feast. You know, the Bible says that in the middle of the tribulation period, there's something that happens called the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's happening during the tribulation time, which is another indication of why it can't be at the end. It has to be at the beginning. Here's another thing. Because of imminence, we must always be ready always be ready be ready for when Jesus comes lastly we'll finish on this one because of the imminence because of the sudden return hear me we must be fervent in our evangelistic efforts we must be fervent in our evangelistic efforts if you show me a Christian that doesn't at least make an effort to share their faith, I can show you one or three things. A false convert, somebody who doesn't understand eternal punishment, or they don't believe in the rapture. Because a person truly converted has a desire to share their faith. A person who understands eternal damnation doesn't even want their worst enemy to go to hell. And somebody who understands that, the, that Jesus could come back immediately wants to make sure everybody they know Amen. And you think about it. He literally could come any moment. Now, it's Wednesday night. Most only saved people come to church on Wednesday night. So I don't, I don't question your heart tonight on if you're ready, but I do have a question tonight. What about those in your house? What about those... In your workplace, what about your children that you see every day? Are they ready? Have you told them Jesus was coming soon lately? Have you told them about eternal damnation? You say, Pastor, I don't want to drive them away. They're already away. They're already away. What are you going to drive them away from? Thanksgiving? Christmas? Listen. I would rather them be mad at me for a time and I get to spend eternity with them than for me to spend a holiday with them and be separated from them eternally. Hello. We got to stop worrying about hurting people's feelings when it comes to eternity, folks. This stuff is serious. And I believe Jesus could come back at any moment. That's why we believe in the imminent return of Christ, which is called the blessed...